Broadcasting from Knoxville, along the banks of the mighty Tennessee River, this is the Startup Knox podcast featuring interviews with local entrepreneurs about their startups. I'm your host, Brandon Bruce, and today I'm joined by Alicia Caputo, founder of Avrio Analytics. Alicia launched Avrio in January of 2016. It is a data analytics consulting company that applies advanced machine learning. Today, Avrio has 10 employees and 25 customers. Welcome to the show, Alicia. Hi, Brandon. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So latest big news from Avrio, uh, you all have a background and have started doing a lot of work in human analytics, and it's branched off into several focus areas. Bring us up to speed. What, what is human analytics? What does Avrio do on that front? And, and what are some of your new focus areas? Yes. So um, the fun part of having a startup is that we um, continually look to see what areas kind of fit our needs the best. And we found that we have a lot of expertise in, and there's a lot of data that's being collected from companies in the private sector that revolve around humans. And so that involves their employees, that involves um, all aspects around the marketing. And we found that there's really good data that we can pull from to help them increase productivity, decision-making, profitability um, across all of these fronts. So we call it human analytics. And Um, It really helps to kind of have our focus and see where the ROI is in helping these companies. And so now in when you say you use applied machine learning, break that break the tech down for us a little bit, right? Because machine learning has become one of those industry buzzwords. So there's, you know, ML machine learning, there's AI, artificial intelligence, there's the melding of those two kind of break down what does Avrio do? How does it do it? Sure. So in one application of human analytics, we help to predict um, if employees are going to leave or what keeps the employees happy at their current location. So by taking all of this information data that a company is collecting, we can then put it into our models and learn from the historical data and the present data that companies have to see if employees are happy, why are they staying it can prevent employees, so your, your star employees, from leaving and finding other spots. And it takes into that all of the data that's being collected. So what they're being paid, what the benefits are, the bonuses, the structure. We can even look at culture. We can look at interviews. Um, we have adaptive interviews that are able to kind of not give you a, a yes or no of the interview question. It kind of gives you two Um, adaptations to what's being offered at the company to see if people are even liking the benefits or if they're looking for something else. So it really dives into what are people thinking and why are they happy or unhappy at a location? Gotcha. Now I'm remembering back four or five years ago when you and Mick were just launching Avrio and we had lunch together at, at Cirrus Insight when I was there and we had uh, community lunches every Friday and we did a lot of brainstorming, right? How could we apply data analytics to, to sales data, for example, or other areas? Now, fast forward, you've got 10 employees, uh, 25 customers. Uh, most, if not all of those customers are big enterprise customers, we describe them as. Many are government agencies. How did you navigate over those years to identify that that market and, and establish that product market fit that you have now? It was definitely a lot of trial and error. We did a lot of work up front. And I think the initial idea that we had those, you know, not so very long ago was to have a platform that people would just give us their data and then we would tell them the insights. We found that that really wasn't the best way to navigate 
the machine learning area um, because a lot of people really didn't have that basic understanding up front. So we kind of switched and went to a more consulting heavy. So we were consultants in the beginning and focusing on that application kind of led us to the more defined um, packaged products. And then what has it been like to to work with large government agencies? What does that procurement process look like? How do you even get in the door to be able to do that type of work, much of which must be by the nature of those agencies, uh, highly classified? Um, so it, it is a lot of work up front on who you know, and seeing what is even being offered for us to bid on. Um, we are still a small company, so that has its benefits and definitely a lot of downfalls because we can't bid on the larger projects. Um, but teaming together with bigger companies has helped. Um, and we kind of fit a very specific niche. Um, we don't offer everything. We're not a shop that that does you know, any sort of data needs, we, we very much hone in on machine learning. And that kind of makes us able to go after the larger projects where they don't have that in-house. A lot of companies that we've worked with in the government space, we are on there as like a subcontractor to do the machine learning work. Because it is such a hard field. Not many people have that expertise in. So a couple of quick things come to mind. One is it's sort of an old startup adage, and it's it's too simplistic. But nevertheless, it's, you know, find a niche and get rich. Um, <laughs> it's like trying not to boil the ocean and do something too big, but really narrow in on something and, and be excellent at it, which you guys, like you just described, are doing. But the other part I want to dig in more to, how, how do you even go about starting to forge those relationships with the, the, the prime contractors, with the government agencies themselves to get in the door? Because I feel like there's a lot of startups uh, around the country, certainly here in the Knoxville Oak Ridge region, that have, that have great tech, but they really need to jumpstart the relationships to get in the door and have the opportunity to bid on these deals as, as you all are. So, so kind of walk, walk me through, how did you go about doing that? Was this cold outreach by LinkedIn? Was it associations that you joined? Was it relationships that, that you all had from, from school or professional societies? What, what helped get in the door on some of these? Right. And man, I wish I would have known that little adage when we got started. Um, Cause <laughs> we didn't have a very, targeted focus when we began. Um, but I, I think a lot of it is that I did, I did kind of all of it. So I've, I've been doing mainly the, the sales and the, um, the administration side of the, of the analytics part. And it's, it's joining all the meetups, going to any sort of government luncheon, joining, we joined all the, the chambers and really trying to see where they are and what they need. Um, I found that in our field, cold calling just doesn't work. You you have to have a relationship. And so we did also upfront do a lot of work for really cheap or, or free just, just to prove how, how good we were at it. And knowing that it's, it's definitely a long, a long time to develop those relationships. So, I mean, the first couple of years we were not profitable. We both had we both had other jobs along with our startup, which, you know, being bootstrapped is hard because you can't have all your focus on it. Um, but without getting funding or other investors, uh, that was really the only options that we had was to kind of buckle down and, and do both a you know, nine to five job and then also try to go to these meetups, try to push 
what we were able to do, really try to partner with people um, to see if we could develop something uh, together. And so it was definitely a lot of, I mean, it still is. I, I wouldn't say that we have all the connections we want. Um, but what we're doing now is that, you know, once you get one connection, uh, you definitely have to keep pushing and, and say, well, who do you know? Can you introduce me to other people? And that'd kind of be my tip for the startups, the people in the tech field, is that, you know, you don't really get a lot of handouts because people kind of doubt your tech. I mean, even on the human analytics side, people are still doubting, oh, can you really show me who's leaving? And then we'd give them a list and it has a bunch of people that um, are going to leave and the next week they leave. And that there's still a lot of proof, uh, which is kind of hard in the tech space. Yeah, I had a company a few years ago uh, say, well, we've been in product development uh, for two years. This was software as a service company. They said, we've been in product development for two years and we're getting very close to the product that we envisioned at the beginning. So we're really excited. So that's fantastic. And they said, yeah, then, then all we have to do is, is go to market with some marketing and, and you know, we'll, we'll spin up a sales team and then it'll just be off to the races. And um, on the one hand, yes, there are some examples of that, right? Where the tech almost sells itself. It's a breakthrough. There's so much latent demand that people are scrambling to get it. Um, but for most of us, that's not, that's not how it goes. Even when you have something great to offer, you really do need to, to wear out a lot of shoe leather telling people about it. And like you say, following the bouncing ball from one introduction to the next, from one conference to the next, uh, trying to figure out who can best make use of the product or service and, and what are they willing to pay for it. Um, so yeah, so it's hard to, it, it, I can't underscore enough uh, the process that you're talking about because on the one hand, right, and, and your co-founder Mick Bertoli is a scientist, right? He's an expert in analytics and machine learning. And so you guys are making breakthroughs on the scientific side, but at the same time, you've been out making breakthroughs on the business development side, right? Forging those relationships. And so it's the meeting in the middle of great tech and great relationships. And then you can, you can build a company as a result. Um, one of the things I want to ask about, you guys are here in Knoxville uh, for a month or two doing research on a new project that has to do with augmented reality. Um, tell me more about that. Yes. Yeah, so that's kind of the fun, the fun part about being the owners that you kind of get to pick the focus and see where it leads. And this is a really fun project that we're working on in uh, government training. And it uh, uses augmented reality. And we get to kind of build the, the projects themselves that then get to record things like hand movements, eye movements, how well is someone training. So you get a bunch of data from all of these cool tech devices. You know, it's been a very fun project for, for the team and kind of more on the research side. So I'm pretty sure if Mick had his way, it would be mostly research. And then after that, the, you know, the sales and the, the other contract. So it's nice to be on a contract that is a, a very heavily research oriented. So I feel like it's very much on the cutting edge. I mean, people have been talking about virtual reality and then AR augmented reality uh, for many, many years, right? I mean, I remember hearing about it for the first time, probably when I was like 15 or 16 and one of the pioneers of the field uh, Jared Lanier gave a speech and I was like, this is fantastic, right? It's so exciting. Um, but it's, it's taking a long time in terms of years and decades uh, for the tech to evolve. Fast forward to a couple of years ago, I saw uh, Microsoft give a presentation and they had a technician come on stage with the hollow lens glasses right, right. and he was purportedly doing a, a motorcycle repair. 
And so when he's looking at the part, I don't know what it was, it could have been the motor or the carburetor, then he was able to zoom in using the glasses and then show the video, uh, the maintenance video of how to repair the part in real time. And, and it was really cool. Um, it was a neat example of, of what's possible. How similar or different is the research that you all are doing uh, to that type of application? Right. I think, I think it's, it's twofold. I think that the, the tech is still being developed and I think the hype is still surpassing what is, what is out there. So we have the, the problem of people think that it could be, you know, you're thrown into like a video game or you're thrown into, you know, you get to do all this cool stuff and that the, the tech just hasn't, hasn't been been there yet. So the HoloLens is still really hard to get, you know, you can't get it if you're just a, you know, individual. And so we're kind of limited a lot by, cause we don't, we don't build the devices. We just, you know, work on the, the data side. So it is a little difficult wanting the tech to be more advanced than the state it's in. Um, it's a good thing that people are very interested in it because it is driving a lot of uh, the technology to build more things in AR. And so what's nice is that a lot of these devices have, you know, things like open APIs where we can, we can build a lot of our own stuff on. Um, but I mean, I look back to, you know, back to the future and it's still not, not quite as, as cool as what they predicted. Um, so I think a lot of the training still needs to kind of catch up. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, now the, uh, Listeners probably heard me say you're back in Knoxville for a couple months. Uh, so many are probably thinking, well, then where are you? I thought uh, this was a podcast focused on Knoxville startups, and it is. Uh, so you all started Avrio here in Knoxville, ran it here for several years. But then for the last couple of years, you've, uh, your home base, your headquarters is in Denver. And, and obviously, uh, right now, you're splitting time between the two locations. Talk about working here in Knoxville. Talk about the, the the traction that you've been able to get out of Denver, also, and then and now it sounds like you'll be spending time in both locations. Right. So um, Knoxville has been has been great in the government space, just because of uh, you know the Oak Ridge Lab and Y twelve. So we really focus a lot of our government contracts out of Knoxville. Um, but the private sector, it just um, it wasn't as as fast paced as you can imagine a bigger city like Denver is. So um, a lot of our private sector clients have really kind of blossomed being in Denver, and uh, we focus quite a bit more on the the sections uh, like our operational AI with logistics and our human analytics have definitely blossomed being out in a in a larger city. Um, we would love to do more work with companies in Knoxville. I think finding the right partners and being in the private sector. It's just, it's just been a struggle here, especially being small. I feel like they kind of didn't quite trust us with a lot of their really sensitive data. And I think having a lot of the government contracts we've had, we, we have a lot of credibility now. So, I mean, being out here, if we could get more work, we love Knoxville and love to see it grow and be more tech focused, you know, have it its own little tech central city would be great. That's the goal. And I think, I think what is happening. Uh, so it's really exciting. And, and we're glad certainly that you all are doing obviously a ton of work through Knoxville uh, in the government space, but also doing the research on the augmented reality side. Um, so Going back to what you said before on the bootstrapping side, did you ever seek uh, money before investment capital before? Or are you planning to seek it in the future? I think we, when we initially got started, because we both realized that we couldn't focus our time um, and still we didn't like that we had to be in 
two jobs. Um, we wanted our focus to be on Avrio because we really felt that it was a good spot. Um, we were kind of thinking that funding would be a great way to partner with someone and help us through the business. Um, I think I've struggled a little bit trying to, you know, even when you, you hire employees, they don't really teach you that in the, in the startup side. So they teach you how to do a business plan and, you know, how to iron out your idea, how to, how to mom test it, as I like to say. And, uh, but they don't really teach you the next steps. So, you know, we, we hustle, we got clients and then, and then what do you do? And so I mean, trying to stay focused. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, 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 I want to talk about this more because I think it's fascinating. I think that there is a lot of uh, support for, I'll call it the idea of the entrepreneur, right. right? And then there's a lot of support for the process that you just described, which is kind of the act of starting up. Uh, let's come up with a business plan. Let's look at the idea more. Let's do the logo. Let's do the incorporation. And then you dig into the really doing the work, right? Getting customers selling. Um, something that I'm still surprised by is that most degree programs that focus on business, whether undergrad or uh, MBAs, typically don't include a course that has sales in the title. Um, this is true nationwide. Um, and I, I find that fascinating because with, you know, unless you're uh, flush with investment dollars, Right. Almost every new business needs to go make sales. And so and without the engine of sales, it, it's difficult to then apply the learning that you've gotten in uh, finance or management or marketing because the sales is the money, the revenue that enables you to incur those expenses. Um, so that I feel like is a gap. Uh, what you just mentioned, right? Most of the startup type curriculum or programs will not take you through the process of the hiring of your first employees, right. which can be a very uh, anxious and fraught process, right? Because it's like, it's, it's, it's the best opportunity to take your company to the next level is getting the best people on your team. And you guys have done a great job of that, right? You got a team of 10 incredible talent on board, but the, but the actual act of doing that from an operational standpoint can be very challenging, especially when you've got to focus on talking to customers and building out the product at the same time. Um, what are some of the other things that you think have been the most challenging in going from kind of the initial startup phase to the running of a small business? I think definitely trying to keep your company culture is very important. Um, so when you're small and it's team of two or three, you really have a lot of control, kind of expanding that out to each person's expertise and keeping that same culture is very important for us. I mean, maybe it's because we focus more on really the team is all, you know, scientists. So that's kind of harder to, to wrangle together and keep them on a, on a set target. Making sure that the, the company and the culture stay in the line. Um, and I mean, we, re we revisit that often. I mean, every year we look about and say, okay, is our mission still on point? Are, are we still growing at the right pace? We're very lofty goals for Avrio, making sure that we hit all those targets are very important. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think it was it, it, Peter Drucker, right? The famous management consultant had, had the great quote that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And there's so much focus on strategy. But then if you back up from that, uh, like you all have and look at it, strategy changes and it can change pretty frequently, right? Lots of strategy has changed in the last six months for lots of companies as a result of COVID-19. But it's the culture of those companies that hopefully enables them to change strategy quickly and effectively. And if the culture is broken, it becomes very, very difficult to, to adapt and adopt new strategies, uh, let alone uh, the tactics to get you there. Um, so I, that, that makes a lot of sense. 
Um, are you all hiring now? You've got a team of 10. Are you expanding? And, and if so, where are you hiring people in uh, Knoxville in the Denver area or is a lot of the team working remote now? So uh, we've always had the, the luxury I'll say of, of working remote. We've always had that kind of as a benefit because all of our, all of our contracts um, are, are more on the computer. They're more computer-based, web-based. So we are, I'm always looking for good talent. Um, so if people are interested in working for us, we're always happy to take in applications. Um, we're very particular with who we hire and what projects we put them on because we want to keep that culture and make sure that it's a really good fit. So we hire any, anywhere in the U.S. Um, we have quite a few people that are in um, uh, there's a few in Boston. There's a few in Denver, of course. There's a, there's a couple even still in Knoxville. Um, then we have a couple in um, California. So we're kind of across across the country already. Um, so it makes it really agile. Yeah, it was kind of a great model to have going in to March and April, yes. where almost everybody then ended up adopting that, whether they wanted That's to or true. not. Um, you, you guys were there already, uh, so we're able to That's do it true. more quickly. A couple more rapid fire questions. So uh, aside from now the new Startup Knox podcast, are there any uh, podcasts that you listen to? Um, I probably should should be listening to more. But yeah, I definitely are, am getting on the Startup Knoxville um, podcast because I, I've i always loved and how we mentioned before, in the startup community, uh, you would always host luncheons and even down at the KEC um, that were really inspirational just to talk to each other and see how what other people are doing in the community. And so I should probably definitely be listening to more of those to help me you know, get out of my own bubble. And um, it really helps you with, with ideas and things that you're struggling with to listen to what other entrepreneurs are doing. So I definitely yeah, it's, one of those, uh, it's one of those things, right? That oftentimes, it's only talking with other entrepreneurs that is is truly useful when you're really anxious about meeting payroll or you're trying to figure out how to adapt a product for a new market. And those become sometimes difficult questions to ask anybody else except for an entrepreneur who's also in the trenches dealing with the same issues. Right. Uh, who, are you, who are you following online? Um, so I have recently I, I started following um, a company called Weta Workshop, and they are they have been around a very long time. Um, I started following them because we've been getting more into the augmented reality, and they are such a cool company out of New Zealand. That they, they are they basically do a lot of stuff on um, movie and film productions, and they do these huge three D animations, but they have been really fun. And I love, I love their culture. I mean, talk about like a fun group of people to work with. Um, they did a lot of stuff for Lord of the Rings. Um, and they actually, their sub company, uh, they, they developed, um, Magic Leap, who does a 3D augmented reality glass, eyeglass. Oh, cool. I did not know that they were behind that. Yeah. So, um, I've recently seen a lot of cool stuff that they've done and I didn't realize how many movies that they, you know, have contributed to that I really like. So that's a new, a new group that I've started to follow online just because of the AR stuff that we've been getting involved in. So that's been kind of a fun one too. Yeah. For listeners, if you go to Weta, W-E-T-A-N-Z for New Zealand.com, uh, you'll see their portfolio of, of movies and projects that they've worked on. It's pretty phenomenal. 
so I'm already a huge fan because one of the okay. first uh, tiles on the page is Ghostbusters, <laughs> uh, which is an all-time favorite movie, yeah, for sure. Um, right. They've been around cool. a while, but you know they started off as a small team that you know focused on being really good at something, and um, and now I mean they they're huge. So that's kind of where I. I you know, I was. I don't necessarily want Evrio to be a huge company, but I definitely want us to be a, a small group of really, really good experts in the field. So that's what would be. What would be your target size if you if you if you were choosing one? Would you want to be? Is it a certain revenue milestone? Is it a number of employees? What are you What are you aiming for? Well, you know, after seeing how difficult it is to have to work with so many people, I definitely want to keep it under fifty four employees. I want to be small but very niche. Um, and as far as revenue goes, I mean, I, I'd like to be a 10 million company in the next few years. So fantastic. We're, you, you, we're, will, you, you will get there. Yeah. Um, we're, 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 we're doubling. Um, I mean, we've been around four years, so we're, we're doing very well, but it is definitely a lot of work, especially with the, you know, family and, and traveling and the pandemic it's been it's been a struggle but it's fun i mean i think all entrepreneurs are a bit crazy and it's a good a good group of people to hang around absolutely i mean i think it's a it's a process of embracing uh that craziness and trying not to run away from it too much uh that that helps entrepreneurs propel forward uh what's the best way for listeners to learn more about avrio analytics what's your website um, so it's avrioanalytics.com. So it's A-V-R-I-O. And so that word is actually Greek and it means tomorrow. So that's kind of why we chose Avrio. And then analytics, A-N-A-L-Y-T-I-C-S.com. The analytics of tomorrow. The analytics of the future. There I love go. it. And um, yeah, tomorrow is here is our little catchphrase. And so it's been been fun to kind of keep keep the horizon on tomorrow keep looking at tomorrow for insights i like that it reminds me of, of jeff bezos's uh annual letter to shareholders right that always begins with the same line where it, it is day one uh like we're just getting started which is a pretty remarkable thing for one of the biggest companies in the world to say every year um what's the best way for listeners to contact you is it linkedin email Social? Sure. Yeah, yeah, I have I have it all. So um, either way, or they can email me directly at Alicia. It's A-L-I-C-I-A at AvrioAnalytics.com. Fantastic. Alicia, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, best of luck to you and Mick and the whole team at Avrio. Uh, look forward to catching up with you about the AR research that you guys are in the thick of now, and then uh, tracking you on your way up to uh, 50 employees and a 10 million run rate here over the next few years. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep you keep you in the loop. Thanks, Brandon. It's been great. Sounds great. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Startup Knox podcast. If you like the show, you can subscribe to listen to more interviews with Knoxville entrepreneurs. Please also leave a review on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite listening platform. If you want to know more about today's episode, check out the show notes on our website at startupknox.com. Also on our site, you can find an ecosystem guide, a startup directory, an investor directory, and a curated startup events calendar for Knoxville. Join me for the next episode where I'll talk with Sophia Tomoff, founder of Guardian Labs, where she has created the HERO software, which stands for Heart Evaluation for Algorithmic Risk Reduction and Optimization. Fantastic new software from a great young entrepreneur. Thanks for listening. <laughs>